Hello, friends, and welcome to Coach Cuts Corner. Streaming bright from Michigan's capital city, this podcast is dedicated to helping you better understand the who, the what, and the why of mental performance, personal growth, and Lansing Stars baseball. Coach Cuts Corner, brought to you by iWash. In collaboration with Lansing Community College. And now here's your host, Stephen Cutter. Welcome back or welcome to Coach Cuts Podcast. I'm Stephen Cutter and today I'm joined in studio by Hayden Modaff. Coach Modaff is an assistant coach and our recruiting coordinator, along with being an elite level academic advisor here at LCC. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Mo. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me back. We just got back from a a long road trip in Ohio and got back late at night and early in the morning. So caffeine's rolling. So today we're going to talk about High performance in teams, what little bit we do know about that, a little bit about winning, not just on the right side of the scoreboard, and some mental performance stuff. So uh, let's, let's get rolling. You know, when I talk about mental performance, you know, you've, you and I have been together for a, a number of years now, but when we talk about mental performance, one of the biggest things to understand with mental performance is it's a muscle. It's something that can be grown. The only way that you're going to grow it is by constantly working on it. You can't uh, just drop out mental performance one time in the fall and one time at Christmas and, you know, and so on and so on and think like you're going to do really well. You you have to consistently work on mental performance and on, on your mind and you're going to really find out how well you've been working on it or how much you've been working on it when you kind of get smacked in the face mm-hmm. and seeing how people react. Uh, was mental performance, you, you were a college athlete at one point, was mental performance really even on the spectrum at that point? Because we're not talking about, you know, 30 years ago. We're, mm-hmm. we're talking about, you know, less than 10 years ago. What, what was that like? Yeah, my, my freshman year uh, with Coach Pullman at Muskegon, we it was very elementary it was very much what was you know taught in the 70s and and all that where it was we did it once a week where we did tapping he taught us tapping to relieve stress um and then and then it transitioned to usually what i think most people believe mental performance to be when you hear about it with coaching where it's we'll run you and in mental toughness and my sophomore year was a lot of that. It was, you know, we'll run three or four miles, we'll sprint. That's going to build the mental toughness, and which it doesn't. No. But we have Brian Kane. We're, yep. we're extremely fortunate to have somebody like Brian Kane in-house. Uh, he's a huge asset to our team. I remember I found Kane when I got into the sports coaching world, yep. and I was trying to figure out how to be different and how to be the best baseball coach that I could possibly be, and whether it was going to be a pitching coach, a hitting coach, a, you know, whatever it might be. And I, I knew that the mental performance side was one of the easiest things to get into because it wasn't well known and uh, people looked at it as you you needed to be a psychologist to be able to do this kind of stuff and i got on google and i i started searching and i come across brian kane and and you know years later to see him fly into lansing (laughs) and you know not only uh 
just leave the crowd wowed at our first pitch dinner with mm -hmm. all the stuff that he did. You know, I'm disappointed that you weren't on the stage eating fire along with me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that that was special. But then the next day, you know, he spent he spent quite a bit of time with our team, with our coaching staff, yeah. with our, our leadership committee, with, you know, just all this different stuff. That's what mental performance looks like is, you know, Brian left a lot of stuff on he you know he took a whiteboard and did a lot of writing for us yeah. and and he got into uh performance pathways and and what mm -hmm. things look like have you actually seen things come to fruition from the mental performance side where you're constantly repping out stuff and then you see results of it because sometimes with mental performance or a lot of times with mental performance you're not able to take a grade. You're not able to get a grade on it. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's hard to measure at times. But have you have you seen where things have come through for people that have worked on mental performance very intentionally? Yeah. An example that I saw yesterday was uh, one of our one of our players. He'd had two or three really poor at bats in a row, and then it kind of carried over to his fourth at bat, and he was down 0-2. It swung at some really really poor pitches that were way out of the zone. Saw him step out, look at the left field foul pole, do his reset, take a deep breath. Next pitch, he battled it off, came back, did another left field reset, and he banged one off the fence. Next pitch, got a hanger, drove in two runs. So I've seen it. You know, it's it's something I believe. And one of the things that I, I felt most was was last year, no matter how many runs we were down in the game, you know, it would be down seven, eight runs sometimes. And the belief was, all right, yeah, we'll, we'll get that back. It's seven or eight runs. And, and, you know, most teams that's, that's an absolute backbreaker. That game's over. You're already, all right, this plan, let's throw this a one way. What are we doing next? What are we doing next game? It's just a belief system and it's, it's mental performance. And it's, it's, you know, I really didn't understand it until I started working with you where it was, what belief system based on winning is and how big a piece mental performance and the daily practice and repetition of it really plays in. And we're going to talk about winning today yeah. and, and kind of what, what drives winning. So when we get into that piece, you know, I, I still go back to how important having other voices in the room are. As a head coach or a manager, you know, the players after a while will start tuning out pieces of what you're saying. Yeah. But if you have somebody else in the room that's saying the same thing, and that's why having assistant coaches all on the same page, pulling the same rope, having somebody else in the room saying the same things, it might be in a little different uh, verbiage but it's the same stuff. And then yeah. you get somebody like Brian Kane that comes in and he's a, he's a national powerhouse when it comes to mental performance. Mm -hmm. And he's speaking the same stuff in a little bit different language, but he's saying the same stuff. It just drives a lot of things home. And he offered a, or he still does, but he offers a mental performance mastery course where you yeah. can, you know, pay X amount of dollars and you can get certified. And it's, it's a, fairly basic course, but it's a good way to get your, your feet wet. And, Absolutely. and, you know, I know our coaching staff has used it 
And, and, you know, when I found Kane, I think my capacity for zero was very high. I was, I was willing to burn it all down to start again <laughs> as I was transitioning. So it didn't matter. So I, I dove into Kane, dove yeah. into a lot of other special ones. And then yet today, here we are seven plus years later, we're, we're still using all of it. Yeah. And it's, it's not only in mental performance times, it's, it's all the time that that is happening all the time because we're coaching players that are playing a sport that is very mentally challenging because sure. of the amount of failures that happens. Um, before we get into winning, I want to talk about um, how, you know, yesterday was a really incredible transition for you because you're responsible for the streaming of our games. So you get the job of setting up the tripods and getting the cameras out and then getting the Wi-Fi going yeah. and getting the everything going. Um, that can be a lot, especially when you're dealing with weather and wind and stuff. You ended up on top of a dugout yesterday. I that was uh, yeah. I, I saw phones out. There was a lot going on there. <laughs> what was going through your head when uh, you got everything finalized and you got up on the dugout, but then you weren't really sure that you'd get back down? Yeah, the, the coming down piece was tough. <laughs> uh, I was trying to find a part of the grass to land on that looked like it wouldn't break my ankles. And uh, I'll tell you, like, yesterday on the... I think in the halfway through the first game, I, I looked at you and I was just like, my bag's starting to tighten up because I uh, was refilling my water bottle. I dropped the cap and I went to pick it up and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> like, <laughs> oh no. And uh, yeah, so so that was tough coming down. Uh, this morning, my left ankle is is not feeling well, but yeah, anything for the perfect shot, right? To total juco, um, no, <laughs> no ladders, just going to climb yeah. fences. And, you know, that's, that is a nice setup for us. I, I think we got like a 30 or a 40 foot yeah. tripod it's that goes sick. up. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's a little bit juco, but then it's also, it's, it was, uh, tied to the, the backstop with J band. Yeah. So, yeah. So. And we had a, don't forget the, uh, the termite infested yeah, the uh, table. wooden yeah. table yeah. that we had propping it up. Yeah. Very cool. So back to Kane, uh, there's a piece of mental performance in what we just talked about there, but Brian, um, on our whiteboards, he started laying out a performance yeah. pathway and it was stuff that we were already doing, but he just hit things home again. And if you want to have success and success is going to be derived as the results at the end and those results may not be the right side of the scoreboard at all but it's the results that you have every day um, yeah. are you going to win today and and like i said we'll get into winning here in a few minutes but that performance pathway started with with leadership mm -hmm. and he likes to say a thing that says coach fed player led and that's something that we've been doing for you know a few years now and when you hear that coach fed player led that's obviously different than a lot of other organizations. Um, mm -hmm. it, what's, what's coach fed player led mean to you? It's encouraging, it's encouraging ownership of their own careers. And, you know, I, I think it's really easy for someone to stray off that path. And, and that's where the coach fed part steps in where you're, you're getting them back on course and giving them kind of a gentle nudge and then hoping they take the reins and run with it. And generally they do in this program because of the type of kids we bring in and the type of leadership they face every day. And, you know, that's from you, that's from Greg or AD, that's from the administration as a whole. And then, you know, just continually putting up that guide rail and continually just giving those little nudges when they need them to, to keep the momentum up. 
And and that's really coach fed, player led to me. Yeah. With with that, I I believe that I can or we can get them to do anything. Mm-hmm. We just can't get them to do everything. So those those bumpers are very important. Yeah. And there's times that we have to let them lead. Yeah. And sometimes they're leading in directions that we don't necessarily want them to lead in. That's not going to end up helping us with the results at, at the end of the day, the end of the week, the month, the year, what, whatever else. But that's that's where that coach-fed, player-led stuff comes in. Did you ever have a, a moment with coaching where maybe the first time that you truly, truly grasped what, you know, coach fed player led was where you let a player take on a a bigger decision or play a bigger part in some sort of leadership stuff where kind of the light bulb switched for you. I don't know if there's a specific time. I think it always started with trying to lead. And and if you're going to lead, you need to lead by example. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to lead, you need to tell people what to do. And then (laughs) those people need to listen to what you're doing. And if they don't listen to what you're telling them to do, then they need to be reprimanded and they need to go out and (laughs) run polls. And, and then, um, you know, when they still don't listen, then, then you just start talking about how bad your culture is or how bad the kids are or whatever else. And, Anytime you can give people more ownership, yes, you you might get burned on it. They they might not follow through with what they're supposed to do. But if yeah. you can give them some more ownership, you'll find that people generally, in general, they're gonna they're gonna lead. Yeah. They they like that autonomy piece and they, they like the ability to to go out. So instead of dictating or managing everything, it's more or less letting letting the the players lead. And then as a coaching staff, we, we do a really nice job of just having those bumpers or their, those guardrails yeah. out. And we have to rein them back in at different points. It might be at, you know, at, at study table. It might be at practice. It could be at leadership. It could be in the community stuff we do. Absolutely. Um, it, it just It's one of those things. So that performance pathway really looks like four different things. It's leadership is the first, and then it goes to culture, which is the probably one of the biggest words used in sports today. It's really overused, but culture boils down to what does your environment look like? Culture is kind of the long game and environment is right now. And you really need to have a special environment if you're gonna have special things happen. You can have the best players possible for whatever level that you're at but if you don't have good leadership and you don't have a good environment the at the end of the day those results are just not going to be very good Mm -hmm. and so we go from culture to behavior in our program we talk about top third behavior and bottom third behavior and top third behavior can be doing a lot of different things it can be winning your day is just getting up in the morning and making your bad or holding the door for somebody or when you walk past somebody greeting them with a hello or you know we just got back from the south from a, a long almost two week spring trip and yeah. and we were staying in Biloxi Mississippi for a number of days and we happened to be right next to the beach and the boardwalk and every morning I would get up and I'd go for a walk down the boardwalk a because it was you know, 70 some degrees and, yep. and, and nice, but it was, it was a great opportunity to get out. And, and of course, when you have something like that, there are always people out, you know, doing the same thing. And 
I, I never passed anybody in any of those mornings. I only ran into a few people that I knew, which were parents that were following us and things like that. Yeah. But I never passed anybody that didn't look at me and say good morning or hello mm -hmm. or anything else, even when they had earbuds in or, or anything else. Yeah. And that's that Southern hospitality. And, and you kind of look at that and you're like, well, that's that's top third behavior. That That's For what sure. you want. That yeah. That is what you want. And you know, bottom third behavior is just somewhat being average and, and just doing what everybody else maybe is doing, or typically it's doing a lot less than what everybody's doing. But we define in our program as top third behavior, bottom third behavior. And then the final thing is, is what everybody starts really, in my opinion, coaching for is, is the results. And <laughs> so uh, when the season starts, we're focused on results. And, and if you forget about that pathway, which starts with leadership, coach-fed, player-led, culture or environment, mm -hmm. and then what type of behavior are they exhibiting, then the final is the results. Yeah. And you think about like some of the teams that you've either watched or you played on, how results-driven they are. Mm -hmm. And it, it's not that you don't want to pay attention to results, but it's that you're kind of getting the the cart in front of the horse mentality where yeah. you're, you're missing out um when we talk about winning and what drives winning i'll kind of start and you can really chase it and if you're willing to sacrifice you might might just catch it briefly mm -hmm. But I was telling this story to Greg in the athletic department this morning, and we were talking about winning. And, and I said, winning will invite you to the party, and you're going to be feeling good about yourself, and, and you're going to get to that party, and it's going to look like it's going to be a lot of fun. And once you get there, the, the doors are going to be locked, and the lights are going to be turned off, and you're going to have to start over again because winning is very temporary. And when we mm -hmm. talk about winning, we're not talking about the right side of the scoreboard. No, we're talking about in life. How can you win every day? What's winning mean to you? How, how do you achieve winning? Yeah, if you would have asked me this before I started, you know, working with you on your coaching staff, you know, four or five years ago, I would have really talked a lot about the right side of the scoreboard and, right. and all that. Uh, being a part of this program and being a part of your journey and coaching with our program and the programs in the past, it's really broken down into winning happens every day and it's a process. And that's awesome because you can stack up a lot of wins, but you can also stack up a lot of losses if you're not paying attention. And I think that's awesome. Winning to me is, is staying on an edge and, and staying intentional and trusting that there's a process. And I think every program now has adopted the term process as, as well as <laughs> culture and all that. But the awesome thing is I think in good programs and especially in great programs like here at Lansing, the process is so fluid where we're constantly tinkering with it and adding in new, new wrinkles and, and things like that. And, and that's winning to me is, is, is constantly just looking for an edge, finding the smallest little thing that we might've lost at. You know, we were looking at how guys were taking their leads the other day and, and small things like that and adding in those wrinkles and that detail oriented stuff that that's winning. That's that's what it is. And and that's a sacrifice that most programs don't make. And that's why they're only at the party for a short amount of time. And that's why generally winning 
people, teams, environments, whatever it might be, they have a hard time of it attaining it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's because they, once they get to that spot of winning, they forget everything that it took to get yeah. there and they forget about all the work that they put in. So then that's why they're only there at that party for just a, a short period of time. And yeah. you can see that repeated in history uh, through businesses. You can see it repeated through sports teams. For sure. There's there's a great reason why it's super hard to win back-to-back championships in, in any sports. I mean, it's just it's really super uncommon. And I think one thing, you know, that I've looked at is like elite performers, typically in elite teams, elite environments, they, they have one thing in common, and that's the ability to achieve the end result over and over and over. And you talk about like process and what process looks like, which process is another one of those words that I feel like just like culture, it's, it's overused. It's <laughs> yeah. not understood. If I drop process here, it sounds like uh, we're doing something special or, or something like that. But th- with the elite performers being able to achieve the end result over and over, and that's owning the minute, owning the, yeah. the, the hour, owning the 24 hours, owning the next day, owning the week, owning the month, and just continuing. You might not win every second of your day, but, yeah. but you got to keep achieving that end result over and over. And, and that's one of the things that really drives winning. There's nothing normal about winning. Uh, that that was something that I read at one point. And it, if you need normal or to fit in, then get used to being in the middle of the pack. Yeah. Because that's what it looks like. Uh, there is nothing normal about winning. If you're going to win today, you've got to start all over tomorrow and do the same stuff that you did to win today. And then you've got to do a little bit more. And, and pretty soon it becomes really hard seven days in. To, to keep pushing the needle forward. But if you can do that consistently, if you can do it for 30 days, mm-hmm. your life will significantly change. Big time. And that and that's what that's what programs look like. You know, mm-hmm. look at legendary football programs or look at look at legendary basketball programs. Yeah. You know, think about like John Wooden's UCLA basketball <laughs> teams and, yeah. and all the stories that have come out about what they would do. Yeah. Think about process. You talk about process. I, I remember hearing stories about uh, Wooden would teach people how to put their socks on. Yes. That is process. Why would he teach them to how to put their socks on? So they wouldn't get blisters because their shoes were just not as good as what shoes are today, right? Yeah. Where, where yeah, you yeah. still get blisters, but, you, you know, you get the idea behind it. And, yeah. and, and if you want to talk process, that's what process looks like. Just dropping out, oh, we have a process. That, that, that isn't anything yeah that's when you, you you encourage kids you know with a big part of what we do here is is you know not only are we bringing kids into our program we're trying to help them you know get out of it and and a big part of of what we are trying to teach them while you're here is to ask those questions when you're on those recruiting visits i think if we have every kid takes off and goes and visits three or four schools, like you said, every single one of those schools is going to say, there's a process here, you know, buy into the process. And really a big thing that we push is ask, have those kids ask what the process is, you know, find what aligns with what they want and figure it out. You know, Brian had mentioned playing to a standard and not a scoreboard, and we had different words for that. But that is uh, super important. You know, last night at the time of this recording, we played – 
you know, a doubleheader yesterday and we mm-hmm. scored we scored 34 runs and had 30 some hits you know yeah in, in two games and from a baseball standpoint if you're like well you know 34 runs you know 30 hits that that's an amazing day didn't give up very many runs on the on the pitching side you know that's an amazing day mm-hmm. but we're not playing to uh, the scoreboard we're mm-hmm. playing to standards yeah. and so practice today is not going to be a bunch of high fives about how well we hit or how well we pitch you know certainly we'll we'll hit on that stuff but today we're going to talk about the things that we didn't do because we deviated away from our standards yep. and went to the scoreboard and um that if you're going to define culture, you're going to define process. That that that's where the exclamation points are, and that that's Absolutely. what that's what makes LCC uncommon, and that's that's what makes our environment super super special. Yeah. Thank you, Mo, for uh, joining me today, and uh, thank you. P- appreciate your insight, and look forward to seeing you on the diamond. Coach Cuts Corner is recorded live in the WLNZ studios. Engineering and production assistance are provided by Dedalian Lowry. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it and follow us on all the platforms of social media. You can find more about our program at lccstars.com. And donations to our baseball program can be made at the same site. See you next time. with LCC Connect at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Academic success is a priority at Lansing Community College. And when assistance is needed, tutoring is available to all students. LCC's tutoring services has developed several options to work with students, including WebEx tutoring sessions, math exam prep parties, and the Writing Center. To find out more about tutoring services, visit lcc.edu slash tutoring. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. On the success scenario, we meet and hear from current LCC students who face adversity, why they chose LCC, and how they turn their situation into a successful one. Definitely now after second semester, my self-confidence is up there. I can do this and I can do this well. Age has nothing to do with it. Like I told you before, I have the I have notes from that first meeting and it was take your age out of it. You deserve to be here. You belong here. I'm Dustin Abrego. The Success Scenario is a program dedicated to inspiring students towards a path of success. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime online at lccconnect.org. By utilizing interactive activities, the Youth Summer Camp at LCC gives kids in grades 2 through 12 the chance to explore science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. Scholarship opportunities are available. Details can be found at lcc.edu slash serious fun.
LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. This is Time Signatures with Jim Irvin, a podcast and radio program presented by the Capital Area Blues Society in Lansing, Michigan. Most any contemporary musical style can trace its roots back to the blues. Time Signatures explores the blues and its musical connections with captivating interviews, lively discussions, and news from the world of the blues. And now, here he is, your host, Jim Irvin. We're back again. All right. All right. We want to to welcome you to Time Signatures. Uh, I am Jim Irvin. This is going to be a two-parter with Freddie Cunningham and James L. Williams, uh, founders of the Root Doctor Band. And, of course, the lovely and talented Marge Mooney. Glad to have her here. She's got her cowbell. I do. And maybe we'll, maybe we'll get her to play it on the on the outro or something. <laughs> I don't have any music, but, you know, we'll figure something yeah. out. So I, I just want to get back into it. And uh, since this is part two of our interview with you guys, yeah. uh, talking about your 32 years that you blessed the greater Lansing area and, and the music world itself with the Root Doctor Band, um, one of my f- biggest thrills was being there for your your final show I was aboard the Michigan Princess. Oh. And Freddie, I have to ask you something, man. Um, your signature closing song, Drawing a Blank. Soul Shine? Soul, Soul, yes, Soul Shine. Yeah. Thank you. I, I absolutely loved that, you know, that that was like the, the way that you closed out just about every concert I've ever seen you play, including mm-hmm. at the Blues Fest, on the Michigan Princess. It was just, it's one of my favorite songs you guys do. Well, thank you. Warren Haynes wrote the song, and um, I heard Larry McRae do it for the first time. Oh, wow. Yeah, Larry McRae is uh, how I got familiar with it, too. Yeah. 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 And the first, you know, first time that I heard it. And um, I was fortunate enough to have musicians and you know in the band that I had who could play it. And... Um, I was able to, you know, to put my spin on it, and uh, it's one of my favorite songs that I do. Me too. Absolutely love it. Absolutely. I feel like uh, we both have a connection with it feeling like our fathers, bringing our fathers back to us. Yeah, you know, because it talks a lot about uh, thinking about what my daddy said, you know, and uh, we were pretty close to our dads, and... um, he was he definitely was a special person in my life so i i have to ask uh both of you Mm -hmm. freddie and james what musician or band caused you guys to dig deeper into your musical roots and bring new stuff out was there was there any particular band you can point to or well you know we have to thank uh, Mr. Scott Allman because he, he he brought a lot of blues and he still does here in the in the capital city. Mm-hmm. And uh, Scott always believed in it, some old school, and he bring up some fresh stuff from people that he that he met and and uh, we got a chance to choose some some of that music there too. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It was it was like when I was younger. And it was it was always you know the Temptations it was always you know Smokey Robinson it was the Four Tops and stuff like that because that's that was the time that I grew up in 
You know, that was the time when Motown was really big. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the blues was taking kind of a downer at that time. You know, it was kind of under the radar, so we say. But myself, doing all those songs, the My Girl and Ain't Too Proud to Beg and all that stuff, I always wanted to do blues tunes. Yeah. Fortunately, I ran into people who were into that, you know, into that genre, and so it wasn't it wasn't hard for me to to pick it back up because it was always there. I'd like to add a little something. Sure, to that. yeah, go ahead by um, all means. As we mentioned in the previous show, I would like to put out a a page with a list of the musicians that we can't think of right now, or you know, because <laughs> there's so many, and we've been blessed with amazing talent, an amazing heart, and thought. Each version of the band brought different people who had different ideas or would bring songs back from um, different eras. They could do blues, they could do jazz, funk, soul, mix it all up. And um, Jimmy Offertson brought, you know, some amazing 60s music. And mm -hmm. um, so I, I want to say it's the musicians in the band that helped us dig deeper mm -hmm. and, and bring more music out, mm -hmm. including writing. Well said. Yeah. And album to album, you can hear it. You can hear a little bit of an influence, like, like has things changed hands, first of mm -hmm. all. But I mean, anytime I've ever listened to Root Factor, it isn't just a matter of just the blues. Freddie's voice, as we all know, lends itself to soul anyway. Mm -hmm. um, you can hear that, uh, the gospel influence. There's, there's just so many different vibes. And, and I like that you point out the 60s vibe. Because that is something that I've always noticed, especially with Jim's playing, Jim yeah. Jim Alfredson. Mm -hmm. He's just got that that groovy sixties, mm -hmm. late sixties, early seventies. Mm -hmm. The organ man, he yeah. just rides that. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, he really does. He's an old soul. He is. Yeah, absolutely. you know. Yeah, and, and, you know. He, and, and he's actually just—he's slightly younger than me. <laughs> I well, you know. I know this because we went to the same high school. Oh really? Oh. Yeah, we did. <laughs> it's a yeah. tiny world. <laughs> Well, you are listening to Time Signatures with Jim Irvin and Adelian Lowry, and we have our special guests here, uh, the Root Doctor Band, Freddie Cunningham and James L. Williams, and of course the lovely and talented Marge Mooney. Glad to have everybody here, and we are coming to you live, well, kind of live by tape, I guess you could say, or recorded. Uh, recorded live. Recorded live there in front go. of a studio recorded audience live. here at, uh, at Moriarty's, and we are so thankful that they've given us a place to do this. But since we talked to James, yeah, and we know what he's doing now that uh, that he's not working with the root doctor. What what have you been up to? I I've seen you around town a few times too, man. Well, you know, I um, I don't have a project right now, but there there could be something coming up in in the next couple of months. I just have to. Uh, Do we have breaking news here? Well, I no. I just have to get my. I just have to get myself together, you know, as far as um, putting a show, putting a, you know, different tunes together, and um, you know, you know, maybe something coming up in the next couple of months. You never know. Possibly okay. on a Tuesday night at Moriarty's. Jazz. <laughs> yeah, maybe. On, yeah, on a Tuesday night at Moriarty's. I have to say that I absolutely hated the first announcement that I heard. And it was when you guys were playing at um, the Sundried Festival in Mason. That was okay. the first time that I heard you guys were wrapping up. It hurt so bad to hear that because I love your music, and I've, oh. you know, I've I've shot pictures of you guys yeah. for years. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Um, so it's it's kind of serendipitous to be able to see 
the members of the Root Doctors still continuing on, still sowing the seeds of music within the community. Whether or not they're together is irrelevant. The, the, the style and, and the flavor of that Root Doctor family still exists. Mm -hmm. And I love seeing you guys when you bump into each other, you know, like you did when you when you saw James this evening. And oh, yeah. I mean, you guys are like family. You, you played together for all those years. All those years, yeah, you, you can't help but be. Absolutely. You know, I mean, for, he'll forever have a place in my musical heart, you know. Um, oh, yeah, Fred. We we made a lot of music together. Oh, yeah. And uh, actually, you guys still got some CDs, a lot of music, right? We do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with, with this, like this, and with, it was a million seller. There's know? a million in there. a million of them in the cellar. <laughs> hey, James, as the bass guy, you got a favorite song you like playing? Oh, man. I had a couple of them out there. Uh, now you, got, you only get one. I'm, I'm gonna make you pick one, brother. That's all there is. Actually, you get one shot at this. Actually, your theme song that you was playing there, Michigan, Michigan, Michigan Rose, Michigan yeah. Roy was yeah. was really cool song, yeah. and I, I really dug that uh, when we was putting it together, and it still sounds good. Yeah, I, I, and anybody that knows me knows I love Michigan. So when you guys like put that out, I was like, eh, yeah, yeah, let's do this. And, and you know the irony of it, uh, Dedalian asked me to come up with an intro song that I could use for the intro and the outro of the program. Uh -huh. And I literally pulled up the first album and I heard that and I said, ooh, 26 seconds. That's a beautiful intro time. <laughs> and, it's, and I love the sound and I love the, the, the flavor of it. And anybody that listens to our podcast now, they're going to know that we're from Michigan. We're Michigan-based. So go. everything just kind of fell in together. Out of curiosity, when you guys would sit down and say, all right, it's time to put together a new album, mm -hmm. what's your starting point? Was it a matter of writing the lyrics first? Did you start off with music first? Was it a riff? What was it? Well, different guys. Uh, and, and, and yeah, I know there's a lot of guys that aren't here that don't get to talk about this. I'm sure they definitely yeah. contributed. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, they and, came up with a groove and, you know, and then I'm, I'm Okay, so a riff or a groove. Yeah. yeah. That's your starting point? Right. Yeah. And then you, you, you'd weave the lyrics in around that? Yeah. Because right. right. every, every band I've noticed does it different, so. Right, you know, um, and some of the songs we did do differently. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, um, a couple of songs, there were, already, there were already lyrics, too. We just put a group to it. We were gifted songs then, from people. Mm -hmm. um, Ed Smith and um, Jason Strothide both right. gave you lyrics to a song okay. that they yeah. made their own with the, with the music. You know, and then we would play that groove and Jimmy and Greg and I would think of something, you know, to fill that spot. Fortunately, they, you know, it's a lot of them kind of, they fit together. That always comes back to having just the right combination to do right. in, in a band. So that's it, the way it, it works. Is. It's it chemistry is. for sure. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh my God. It, is, it is chemistry, right. The coin of uh, the coin up phrase. So typically, the lyrics over the years, though, they've been they've been contributed by different members of the band, or was yeah. it always okay? All yeah, right. right. You know, because I've I've written a couple. And that's that's the thing is, would you consider yourself a poet? Uh, Without no. knowing it, <laughs> <laughs> I know it, and I ain't no poet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> you knew it was coming back. <laughs> hey, timing's everything, man. Uh, isn't it, though? <laughs> you got that right. No, but uh, I was, you know, I was able to put, you know, put a few things together. Mm -hmm. And Jimmy and Greg and James and... and uh, Scory and Lisa. And Mike and Bill Malone. Oh, and 
you know, and different people. Were, so many names that we can't remember. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we love you all. Exactly. Yes. And we do love you all. But, them, you know, because they were such a big contribution. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I think the Root Doctor sound also was coming from Fred and I first the consistency over the years. Um, the Root and, mm -hmm. and the lead uh, vocals was, was there. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there was something that I had mentioned uh, in our first go-round when we uh, recorded the first episode, that the sound has always been consistent. Mm -hmm. yeah. That quality has mm -hmm. always been there, regardless of who you've got supporting you. Right. It's always right. been a consistent uh, familial mm -hmm. sound. And I've always been fortunate to have musicians around me who wanted to, you know, who could contribute to what you know to what I wanted to do or who could assist me I mean had it not been for James Greg Doug Jimmy Steve all right so next time we do this we're yeah. gonna give you a list of names yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah and we're gonna put it there and we're gonna go okay we're gonna acknowledge everybody right here exactly <laughs> and then you we'll know. go back around right it was a lot of folks to make it happen over oh years. yeah but you two if, if and correct me if i'm wrong you two are the the, the two guys that have been the consistent force yes. behind yeah, this we've right been the yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 i think that uh, you know just having what well, fred naturally to be the lead singer but i think having the bass uh made it a little easier for other musicians to to come into the band and, and to make the music tight that's the found you know because the bass is the foundation you can put i mean all you need is a bass you know you get bass yeah. player and a singer you'll be fine you know i mean you know push come to shove <laughs> but here, you know, you add all those other, you know, pieces together, and it you know makes it that much better. But yep. yeah, you know, so it's it's been a, a very positive interview to this point. But I'd, I'd like you to talk about. Are you turning it negative now? Describe your least favorite part about being a musician. Is there anything about being a musician that has been? A challenge to you or uh, and this is for both of you I'd like to get an answer from both of you is there anything about being a musician that has been a challenge at any point over the last 32 years yeah when we started we you had to take your own PA mm. and you know I mean we still do you know, to you know. Different, in different places fortunately now I have someone who will you know who will take care of that for me we're sorry Marge but no that was you know that was you know the old saying that you know that's what you get paid for yeah yeah, yeah that yeah. was that was it yeah. so it. a lot of equipment lugging in the oh, I hate well and, and all also through all through it and also family you know when you're trying to raise a family or you're trying to um, i've been working at michigan state for 37 years yeah so to try to uh, maintain a job and yeah. and a family life and you know yeah. it can be challenging sometimes yeah yeah because yeah. i mean a lot of those years working five days a week at least yeah you know and playing sometimes two nights a week on the weekend you know in smoky bars yeah at oh, that time yeah you know so kinda. so speaking of your um of the venues you've played at a lot of yeah. venues in the greater lansing area what yeah. would you say was your favorite venue ever all time to play in well 
<laughs> oh, oh! Besides this place that we played a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we did a lot of playing actually at the Green Door yeah. and Moriarty. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the Green yeah. Door has been really they a were, great place for the band. Sometimes we we were there like every other weekend. Well, and the other That's thing true. is too, it, it doesn't exist anymore, and I'm sorry because I never got to go there. But the Cadillac Club, I know, was a, a very uh. popular jumping place. You guys actually recorded one of your albums live there. Mm-hmm. And yes. um, I've seen some video of that too on YouTube, which is kind of cool. And you know the room, the room is very, the room is really nice. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that room. Yeah. Only thing about it was the stage was too small, mm. which was surprising considering how big that place. How was. big that right. place was. So it's too bad the silver dollar wasn't blues back in the day. Is that well, what you know what it was. Huge... It was because they had a huge, you know, it had a huge stage. Oh yeah. And the lighted floor and you know yep. the whole. The whole shot I saw, sliding the family stone there one night for at the oh. dollar at the dollar for fifty oh, cents. <laughs> Do you see me right now? Do 50 you see me, Freddie? Cents. I- I'm like green right now. <laughs> well, I mean, I've I've heard about the big bands that played the big uh, hair bands and oh yeah, Aerosmith and yeah. Yeah. oh yeah, yeah. And Kiss, Seeger. Kiss played, yeah, Kiss played there at one time. Yeah, Kiss yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, yeah. yeah. One stage that we played uh, was really small. Is when to be President Clinton was coming to on his train oh ride to Chicago. Yes, yeah. yeah. And so we had to walk through like 10, 15,000 people. Yep. They, they let the band go last. So we have to snake our way right. through the yeah. crowd to get on this little this little stage. Yeah, it was like in the 90s, wasn't it? Yeah. Right, that yeah. we shared with the lug nut. And, you know, and while we're trying to do, do whatever it is, here's this guy. In a lug nut outfit? In a lug nut outfit. <laughs> Why didn't you hand him yeah. the guitar, man? Yeah. You just hand him a yeah. guitar what and say, play. What could you do? You know, the president was there. You had to be nice. <laughs> and big lug. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and a big lug. Not way. just a president. <laughs> well, speaking of, we did play that that stadium as well. With, was it oh, Lick, was yeah. It Leonard that Skinner? was uh, Leonard Skinner oh. and... Uh, Winner. Winner. Yeah, Johnny Winner, yeah. Johnny Winner. Oh, Edgar Winner. Edgar Winner. Winner. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, you are listening to Time Signatures. I'm your host, Jim Irvin, along with Adelian Lowry. We are recording live at Moriarty's at right downtown in Lansing, Michigan. And we've got a nice crowd in the place here. How about a big hand? Yeah, we do. Yeah. We are so thankful for everybody that came Thank out you. this evening. And we are also speaking with Freddie Cunningham and James L. Williams from the Root Doctor Band. And I, I don't ever want to call them retired or anything like that because you'll always be the root doctor to me. <laughs> and, of course, the lovely and talented Marge Mooney. We're glad to have her as well. And as I said, we are thankful to have everybody here. Guys, I want to turn the page just a little bit. We've got a little bit of time left here. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to uh, sh- have you share with me the best piece of advice you ever got from another musician. And you're, I want you to dig back, maybe the beginning. What was, what was the best piece of advice you ever got? Be yourself. You can't be anybody else. You, you know. Yeah, play it. Because everybody else is already taken. They're right. They are. <laughs> yeah, play it. Play it how you feel. Play it from the heart. Yeah. You know, yeah. Going back to, I, I got to share something with you guys. About a week and a half ago, we went to um, a fundraiser for the Ukrainian children, mm-hmm. and Larry McRae was there. Unbeknownst to me, Larry had recently lost his son back in right. November. Right. Right. And. Um, I didn't know this previously, 
but I brought my son with me. Uh-huh. And I always wanted him to hear the Root Doctor Band, which he's not done yet. So you're going to have to do a reunion. Yeah, yeah. okay. And, I've and been also, about that. And also, I, I would love that. And also to hear Larry McRae. And when I introduced him to Larry, um, I had told him that my son plays guitar just a little bit. And Larry was genuinely interested in my son. And he said, you know, man, he says, if I'm ever, if I'm ever in the area playing, he says, you get, you know, get to the point where you want to play, we'll have to get together and pick some strings. He says, but let me tell you, he said, play for yourself first. Yeah. And when you're ready to share it with the world, right. the opportunity will present itself. It will. And I thought, I, I looked at my son, I'm like, do you know what just happened? The guy's legendary. I mean, mm-hmm. Larry mm-hmm. McRae, much like yourselves, I mean, you guys are blues in the greater Lansing area. And, you know, Larry played here for, for many years, played yeah. blues on the square. I think you guys yeah. did too. Yeah. So the, the familial aspect of the blues in this area, I think, is probably one of the most exciting things that I've ever been a part of. I have always been amazed at the amount of talent and the level of the talent in this little town. When you think about Lansing as a metropolitan area, it's not that big. Now you're talking, what, 200,000, if you include East Lansing? If you include East, yeah. You know, Colton, I don't know, we might have to go out as far as Poamo. (laughs) 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 You know, but... uh, they're giving me kudos out here for being good on the button now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the level, you know, the the amount of talent and the level of talent, you know, I I have always been amazed by it. You know, I mean, good rock and roll players, oh, yeah. good blues players. Yeah. Yeah, in this town. You know? Oh, yeah. Definitely so. You know... We used to great, play. Uh, sorry, a lot of great jazz musicians jazz. too. Oh yeah, yes. don't do not. Yes. Like do not, not do not. Really good stuff. Yes, you got MSU so close, yeah. full exactly, of music. Yeah, right. James, you were saying? No, I was just going to say we used to play Grand Rapids a lot, and seemed like Lansing should be more musical at that time. You know, mm-hmm. and said, so why don't they have more music over here in Lansing like they do in Grand Rapids, and and eventually. I think that Lansing caught up and, and has been doing a, a great job over the years. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, like I said earlier, it's definitely on a, a resurgence or, yeah. you know, it's, it's yeah. growing again. People yeah. are getting excited. Right. Um, I think, was it Jim Alfredson that put the post up that was inviting people to come? He had a space where you could come and practice and right. different yeah. things. I mean, right. that's, that's, that's where this stuff happens. Yep. Yep. It's a it's a big mixing bowl where you get to put people together and that's that's one of the things that's always blown my mind since I've been in the Lansing area and been involved with Capital Area Blues Society, um, and I'm I'm incredibly honored to be a part of that board and and working mm-hmm. with that organization. We've got some wonderful people there, but it's amazing to me when you look at people like Mike Lynch. Yeah. Every time I turn around, Mike Lynch is playing with somebody. Yeah, you know and. Yeah. And it, there's a reason for that. It's not, and it's not just Mike, but he's one example that pops into my head. Right. Uh, Mocha's another one. Mocha's right. another one. Mm-hmm. Three or four different bands. I mean, it's it's the level of quality that these musicians in the greater Lansing area have yep. that you don't find everywhere. Yep. It's it's like it's indigenous to this area, and it's organic, and it's a wonderful thing to have. And uh, there's a generous spirit with the musicians too. Very much so. I love that. So what I wanted to find out is, 
I know that Freddie was he's always been a hard worker with the band, but I'm gonna ask Freddie first and then I'm gonna ask James and we'll see if he corrects him at all. Okay. So Freddie, how would your previous bandmates describe you as a member of the Root Doctor? Um a friend first. First of all, you know, I'm you know, I've always treated treated the band members equally. I mean, uh, we we always as far as the money was concerned, everybody got paid the same. You know, there, there wasn't any extra hundred dollars for me because I'm the lead singer. No, there wasn't. There was any of that. Everybody got the same amount of money, and I wanted to. I wanted to make sure, right off the bat, that that happened because that is one of the one of the things that will destroy your band. You know, as quick as anything else, you know, ego. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You know, definitely. Me, so. You know, letting everybody know that everybody is on the same is on the same level. Nobody is more important than anybody else. James. Well, I think that's what held us all together for all these years. Right. You know, uh, just having that equal pay. And uh, so, are you talking about? What the bandmates thought of me? Yeah. Oh, no, I just, uh, uh, Fred. I, I just wonder about Fred. Oh, oh. What do you think about Fred? <laughs> <laughs> see, see Fred? Ah, now we're getting down to it. Uh, uh, easy, easy out there. Uh, James, I was seriously waiting for you to come in and say, oh, by the way, you owe me 100 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that last game we played? Where's the 100 bucks? <laughs> no, we're not going to no cans of worms. You know, you know, you know we all have our moments. And and, you know, Fred and I da danced around a few things over the years, but we still managed to, to pull forward in a positive way. I think of just being a strong vocalist, it was quite important for the, the Root Doctor band, and, and I'm trying to be a, a strong bass player behind him. And so, um, what was that question again? <laughs> <laughs> you did fine. You did fine. <laughs> but you know, the funny thing is, you, you kind of hinted towards it right there, but I don't know how many bands I have talked to where they have described kind of what you were hinting at right there, and that is band is almost like being in a marriage. It is. You know, I mean, I'm, what are you going to do? I mean, you, I mean, because you're going you're gonna to bump heads with every, anywhere you go. Yeah. You know, so you're going to quit this band, because you didn't, you know, because you had a little spat, mm. or you're gonna, quit, you know, you're gonna go. Well, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna meet the same thing at another band. You're gonna have a spat about something else. So, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, you know, are you gonna work through that, or are you gonna just keep going from place to place? Absolutely. Well, we want to thank both of you for being here this evening. We enjoyed uh, being here. I really did. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Freddie Cunningham. James L. Williams, yes, the lovely and talented Marge Mooney, who is going to play the cowbell here for us in just a couple of minutes. <laughs> I'm telling you, she's going to play it during the outro. We're going to leave the, we're going to leave her mic up so that she can play it for us. We thank you both for being here. Actually, all three of you for being here. Thank and, you. Uh, and yes. Dalian, thank you so much for being here on the maiden voyage. Hey, I mean, happy to be there, man. This has been a good time, and mm -hmm. uh, I think we've got a lot more good stuff in the future coming up. As everybody knows, most music has can trace its roots back in some way former fashion to the blues and that's one of the things that we want to highlight with this podcast have a good night thank you so much for being here big yeah. hand for you
This has been Time Signatures with Jim Irvin, presented by the Capital Area Blues Society in Lansing, Michigan. For more information on cabs, visit capitalareablues.org. You can find this episode and past episodes at lccconnect.org. The Time Signatures theme song, Michigan Roads, is used by permission and was written by Root Doctor, featuring Freddie Cunningham. Until next time, keep on keeping the blues alive. Baby, I'm keep connected with LCC Connect at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. The Lansing Community College Massage Clinic is open to the public and provides an opportunity for the students of the massage program to gain valuable client experience. Relaxation massages and therapeutic massages are both available at a nominal fee. Visit lcc.edu massage for more information. Michigan residents age 25 or older may qualify for Michigan ReConnect a program providing free or reduced tuition to students who have not earned a prior college degree. ReConnect students are responsible for books and fees. Visit lcc.edu slash reconnect for more information. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. This is Amy Wagonar from the Historical Society of Michigan with a Michigan History Moment. Ah, the Victorian era. A time of horse-drawn carriages, bustles and parasols, top hats and walking sticks. It was a much simpler time in Michigan. Or was it? The rules for visiting or making calls and using the all-important calling card were anything but simple. In fact, one misstep on the well-beaten path of calling card etiquette could mean insulting a notable acquaintance or being branded as presumptuous. A visit to a typical middle-class or upper-class Victorian home began in the front hall. There, a caller was met with three common features. A mirrored hall stand for holding hats, coats, and umbrellas, straight-back chairs, and an ornate card receiver, which held an array of calling cards. Usually, the cards were collected by servants and deposited into the card receiver to be later sorted or reviewed by the gentleman or lady of the house. Some cards included a city and state, but most offered only the bearer's name. White or off-white cards engraved with script type usually signified the ruling class, while cards decorated with colorful artwork tended to denote someone of a lesser class or lower social rank. And, much like current business cards, the size of a calling card needed to fit into an acceptable range. He who presented an oversized card was considered flamboyant, and cards that were too small were regarded as humorous. Etiquette books overflowed with rule after rule concerning calling cards, but they also offered a simple gesture that could make a card even more meaningful. In Victorian times, elation, empathy, or enlightenment would be conveyed by a simple bent corner of a calling card. A bend on the right-hand upper corner meant that the individual was just paying respects and did not expect to be admitted. The left-hand upper corner expressed congratulations. The left-hand lower corner symbolized condolences, 
And finally, a crimp on the right hand lower corner showed that the caller was going to be out of town for an extended period. Personal calling cards were definitely an art form, lost now, but in their time, these grandparents of today's business cards were a crucial part of Michigan's Victorian society. This Michigan History Moment was brought to you by michiganhistorymagazine.org. This is WLNZ Lansing. You're listening to LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. To find out more about LCC Connect programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision.